Monday. I am so honored to be sharing this episode. I've followed Joanne's Instagram account for so long and to have the chance to interview her in person was just I'm so incredibly lucky and to hear more about the story behind a safe place inside your head is was absolutely rewarding and um, just so moving and I'm, I'm really excited for you all to tune in and let me know your thoughts um before you know i play the episode i do want to give a trigger warning that we talk about suicide um and so if you know if that is a triggering subject to you or if you've recently gone through a suicide loss i just want to you know put that out there so you know kind of what you're getting into but i think overall Everyone um, should at some point take a listen to this episode and just, yeah, and learn a lot and, and, um, yeah, and just listen to what Joanne has to say because it's really powerful. Um, also, you can support at Safe Place Inside Your Head because it's a nonprofit. So um, at the end of the episode, Joanne kind of walks through different ways that um, you can help her cause and both of our mission to reduce the stigma around mental health and suicide. Um Anyways, without further ado, I'm going to play the episode because I currently have two dogs in my room and they're probably going to start barking and running around any minute. So I'm just watching them and making sure they don't do that. So without further ado, here is Joanne of A Safe Place Inside Your Head. and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today I'm so excited to do be doing my first in-person socially distance recording with Joanne Irizarry, the co-founder of the nonprofit A Safe Place Inside Your Head. Welcome. Hi, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. I'm I feel like I'm with like an Instagram celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> We're not. It's not. It's not at all. It's so weird because when we, I wake up and see numbers every single morning, I'm just like, I don't even know how this happened. <laughs> yeah, I was telling my friend who's a, a therapist um, that I was interviewing you, and she's like, oh my gosh, she's huge. I was like, <laughs> you yeah. feel like that. I don't know if you saw a post from um, Tanner the other day. I don't know how, how closely you get to see the stuff if, if it's in your algorithm, but Tanner, we had had a post that somebody was pretty mean to us about because that's what happens on social media. There's yeah. a lot of bullying. And um, we... Like, we don't think about that we really affect people because, you know, like, we just keep posting and we just keep moving forward and do our daily lives. We all work. We have other jobs. We do a lot of other things. And we don't think about, like, the numbers, like, the people. And Tanner, um, he posted about, like, how it felt to be bullied online from this person and that it was it had made him very depressed and it made him I – mean, he was very vulnerable in the post. And the post wound up – it wound up with, I mean, we usually get about 20,000 likes on most of our posts, but this one wound up within hours with 20,000 likes. Wow. And our um, DM feed was just, it, it exploded. It took 
three of us answering DMs, because we try to answer all of our DMs, it took three of us to nonstop just do a canned message saying, thanks for responding, thanks for responding. And we still have over 150 DMs in our box that we haven't been able to respond to. But the bigger part was is that um, the, the feedback that we were getting from people was that, um, that they really appreciate everything we do. And we never think about that because we don't hear, like, you don't hear that that much. You just hear, like, sometimes, you know, we have a lot of comments, whatever. But you don't hear people saying, you know, you made a difference in my life. And we actually got three or four stories where, like, they were actually life-changing stories for people that had felt like they were on the brink of suicide and they read a post and the post changed their mind. So it's amazing what social media can do. It's just incredible the kind of um, the kind of imprint you can make on other people and we're like we're blown away with the numbers we we never and COVID definitely increased it we never we created this out of our own need to feel like we were seen and heard and to let other people know that they were too and it started out so small and it just like we've never paid for followers we we don't follow very many other people you know, we don't know what we did to <laughs> have this happen, but we're very grateful that it is. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I think it, that vulnerability is key because people feel more comfortable, you know, reaching out to what I say is like, um, like an anonymous post or post or um, account when they feel like kind of, as you say, like it's a safe place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, so just to go over a little bit of background information, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I know we're in Austin now. Is, you know, were you born and raised here? I grew up in New York. I grew, oh, up, in, right. I grew up in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and we moved to Texas when I was about 17 years old. And I was really mad when we moved to Texas because like, you can imagine, I'm 58 years old. So you can imagine like what the culture and the climate was many, many years ago. And I grew up in, you know, New York's progressive city. I was, in, I had a lot of different friends of different ethnic cultures and I was used to that and I was used to a lot of freedom because you take public, public transportation everywhere and we moved to Texas and like you have to have a car, yeah. there's no museums and you know there's no Italian food, <laughs> you know there's like no bakeries, like I was just mad when I first got here and then I grew to love Texas so I've been here for probably like 40 something years. Oh wow. And I've lived in and out of the Austin area over the last um 17 years so I we moved to Dallas my family moved to Dallas and then um and then I moved to Austin um probably like 17 years ago and I went to culinary school here in Austin I I was working for Intelcom at the time I didn't know anybody it was just like this life I needed a life change and so my job offered me to move I moved to Austin and I saw a commercial for a culinary school. I was like, I've always wanted to go to culinary school. I mean, who does that at 40? But I did it. Mm-hmm. So I went to culinary school and then um, I got my culinary degree and I've been in food and um, I'm also an accountant. Um, so I help people with their financial stuff and their taxes. And then, of course, we developed a safe place a couple of years ago. So I have a, a broad. Yeah, range I was going to say, touch on like right every now. industry. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep telling my parents because they're, you know, still in New Jersey, like moved out of the city, thinking about moving to Florida now. And I'm like, just come to, come to Austin. Like you could still go hiking. Got that like no income tax. Come on. So it's it's pretty amazing here. I keep leaving and then I always come back 
And so now this last time around that I came back to Austin, I'm like, this is it. I'm here. (laughs) Just accept (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. So from my understanding, you started a safe place inside your head with your son in 2018. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, what inspired you to create this mental health nonprofit. So I'm going to give all the credit to Tanner um, because Tanner is, um, I have never been diagnosed with a mental health issue besides um, like depression that's situational. Like if something happens, then I'm depressed about that. And Tanner from the time that he's, and he's my youngest son. So I have three sons. I have Tanner, a Dakota, and I have Kenny. Tanner is the youngest. And from the time he was about six or seven, Tanner has had mental health issues that were very severe. Like he was on uh, Seroquel, at seven years old. So he he's had rage issues. He has bipolar disorder. He has a, a mild case of skin, uh, schizophrenia. So he's always had mental health issues and we've dealt with it for his whole life. Now Tanner's almost 30. And Dakota has, um, he has some bipolar disorder issues. He's got depression and he takes medication for it also. Kenny, who's my oldest son, is the one that passed away, uh, you know, due to suicide. He had had mental health issues from the time he was little. Um, and these kids are from sep- different fathers. So it's like, it's kind of weird that they all had mental health issues and they're all kind of related because they all had bipolar disorder. So I know in my family, on my on my mom's side, there's a lot of mental health issues. So anyway, Tanner, a few years ago, he's, he's um, we're talking about Kenny's death and we're still like, it's hard after suicide, the first, like forever, it's, uh, it's hard forever. I'm not gonna say the first whatever. But we were trying to figure out what could we do like to honor Kenny's memory. And Tanner said something like, you know, we should do like a some kind of page on on Facebook or something. Like he has his own page, but like maybe where people can talk about mental health issues. Because when he would become vulnerable on Facebook, his friends would like lash out at him and they would say people would just say mean things and he didn't feel like that he he liked Facebook, but he didn't feel like it was a safe place. So he said, the only place that I feel like is safe is the place inside my head. And I said, you know, or we said, you should use that for, you know, like your your name of your group. So we called the group A Safe Place Inside Your Head, started out on Facebook. It was a private page, so people did not feel like everybody was going to see their post. And mm-hmm. we invited only our friends. And within a few days, we had probably like over 500 people between me, Tanner, Tanner had um, a girlfriend at the time, and my son Dakota. We all invited everybody we knew, and then people just started accepting. And p- then the conversation started opening, and people were very vulnerable. They were talking about things that they couldn't talk about on regular Facebook. Um, we've always said, "Hey, we're not therapists. We're not professionals. You know, we can we can tell you like how we feel, but don't please don't use that as your your benchmark for what you should do." And and it's it's worked out well. So a little bit into it. Um, I've always managed social media. I've owned a a restaurant. I've managed social media for other people. I told Tanner, I'll do the Instagram page because y'all are really busy with the stuff that's going on on the Facebook page. And and so uh, we had like 43 followers at the time. And I I couldn't even decide what direction we were going to do it. But I was like, hey, I love to look at memes. Maybe maybe everybody else in the whole wide world loves to look at memes as much as I do. You know, we're not artists, so we don't create our own content. But maybe if I start asking artists, can I use your post? And can I just use like some of your words? And then can I insert my own to how I feel about when I read your post? And people were saying, yes, no problem. Don't worry about it. Do it. So we started um, working with other artists and using their, their social media voice, like with their artwork. And then we would say how we felt like this post makes me feel this way or I felt like this today we were making it become ours but Mm -hmm. always giving and tagging our artists and our Instagram grew like 
we did like we would wake up every day and we'd have hundreds of new followers and we were just like how did this how's this even happening like we're lucky we're getting an algorithm but you know like what do we do with it so that's where we started the safe place was we had the facebook page and then we had the instagram grew really really fast we added a discord channel we tried some stuff with twitch and we just don't have the bandwidth because it's just three people it's my sister amory who lives in um who lives in upstate new york and then me and tanner and then my son Dakota is also, he manages the Safe Place Facebook page now. We're growing a little bit. Um, we have you know, a board of directors for our nonprofit and then we're starting an ambassador program to help let get other influencers get involved with us. We're partnering with mental health apps because we just can't, like it's grown so big, we can't <laughs> do it ourselves. And we have regular jobs. Like, you know, we don't, the Safe Place doesn't bring in, like people think, oh, you're a nonprofit. You must be making a lot of money. We don't have any money. We're, like, <laughs> we're, we're broke you know like we just depend on nice people every once in a while to you know open up and say here's twenty dollars five dollars whatever whatever so so that's basically how safe place started tanner was the impetus for it um and you know we've just been here like plugging along for the last two years and it's just lately it's just crazy because people want to talk about mental health yeah and finally we feel like we're making a difference so that is incredible for so many reasons i mean i can't believe it's just three of you managing it because i i don't even i have like a thousand followers and i think i have three people <laughs> helping me out <laughs> and just to generate the content you know doing that alongside a, a nine-to-five job but also i just i you know applaud yours and tanner's ability to channel all of those emotions that you experience after a suicide loss and put it into something that's really beautiful and is helping others. So I, I have so much respect for that. Um, and, and as like, I imagine Kenny's legacy is living on through a safe place. So, um, yeah, that is so amazing. Um, so I was actually, going to ask you this later, but one of the many things that I love about your Instagram account is, you know, as you said, like with the memes and how it's really relatable. So I was wondering, so was that kind of deliberate and just, were you thinking, oh, oh, I like memes, like maybe this will resonate with people or did you have any idea? Like for me, I think sometimes when you add a little levity to something really sad it I don't know it makes it not more or maybe more relatable but also there's like some humor or um, someone once said on my podcast sunshine is the best disinfectant and I love that quote because it's true it's like if you add a little bit of like light to something it makes it less heavy is that part of the reason why you chose like you know that approach so um I'm also a recovering alcoholic just to add on to the things that I am. <laughs> but um, I'm a recovering alcoholic for eight years. And so after Kenny died, I, I went into treatment. It was four years, four years after, or three years after he died, I went into treatment. And after that, when I got out of treatment, my whole, like, my, my whole mindset changed because I had been living in the dark for three years after he died. And then I went to rehab and I saw that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that I could continue to live on even though he wasn't here. And I became 
what people people say I'm annoying AF all the time. <laughs> like you're so annoying because you're so positive all the time. Like everything is like glass half full. Like when everybody else is having a bad day, you're like, but whatever. And they're like, you're just annoying. Not annoying like in a bad way, but like you can always count on me to like lift your spirits up. So when we started out, a lot of our stuff was um, very motivational. It wasn't so much meme related, but it was very motivational. We'd say, you know, mental health issues are tough, you know, whatever, we got this and we're here to support you, kind of letting the, the community know who we were. And then as COVID hit, that's when everything changed. And I love memes, like I live for memes. Memes is my love language. <laughs> so if you want to like talk to me, you should probably talk to me in a meme. Send me a meme on text messaging or show me a meme. That's how you show me you love me. So um, I, I spend a lot of time, because I, I do all the posts. I, don't, I, I think people don't know that because we haven't really said that on, on Instagram, but I do every single one of those that posts. That is amazing because I laugh at all, so many of them. And Tanner does one every once in a while when he decides he wants to feel. He got away from it for a while because um, personally it was affecting his mental health because of the, the – the, he's, he's very um, very empathic, and he takes when people say something that's derogatory or – feels like negative that he takes it like personally and yeah so he's he admits it he admits it fully that he needed to take a step back and get away from um the postings and then he just does the dm so i do every single so i you have to imagine i spend a lot of time looking at social media memes like i that's all i do for two hours every single day i look at memes <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's it i just find and gather and my meme library is so big it's like one of these rooms that's nothing but memes <laughs> But so when COVID hit, we realized that what we were posting wasn't resonating because people didn't want to feel happy. They didn't want to feel motivated because you're stuck in your house, you know, like you don't have anywhere to go. You don't even know what, if you're going to get sick. So then our, our tone changed and we do this all the time. We change our tone based on what's happening in the world or because we are worldwide. We have people all over the world that, that talk to us what's happening in the world. Um, we try not to be political because we feel that that's very important that we're not political. But if something is happening, we want to be part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So it goes in cycles, you know, like right now we, we can get away with posting more positive stuff. People are like, they want mental health solutions so we can post more solution kind of things. But we find that the humorous meme that like is like this is what it looks like I'm laying on the floor you know every day like this is what my happy space is laying on the floor with that crazy look on your face people relate to those because that's exactly how you feel and you know I don't have I'm not clinically diagnosed with any of that stuff and it might even seem weird when I post things but I've like I've lived 58 years so there was a point in my life that I was you know I had you know body self-image problems and I had an eating disorder I've I understand it, even though I'm not the same age as you, I can I can relate to what you've been through or what you're going through in your life. So I, I feel like the the ones that we post that are funny <laughs> memes are the ones that we get the most, you know, like feedback from. And I love reading the comments. I love when somebody says, I feel exactly like you. You just made me feel seen or heard or, you know, or they, they tell me. So we try to put in our, our memes, we try to do a call to action and ask a, a specific question like, when this happens to you, what do you do? So that opens up the conversation. And it's not just us, you know, like just saying like, oh, this is a great meme, this is funny, whatever. To try to engage people so that there's a, like everybody has a voice at that point. So so yes, to answer your question, that the meme the meme thing's important to us 
in the beginning, we just wanted to, you know, like have a message. That's it. And then it just, it, it changes all the time. We're, and we're changing for our community. We ask them, what do you want? And we give them what they want. Because it's, it's not us. It's them. It's what these people need to hear or see every single day. Yeah. No, it's so true. Um, even when I, you know, look at the analytics behind this podcast, my and I'll, I'll give her a shout out. <laughs> my third fa- um, favorite, my third most listened to episode. It, the first two are like two relatively famous people. And the third is my friend Caroline, who I had on, who is one of the funniest people I know. And um, she recorded with me to talk about her experience with bipolar disorder. And she was just so raw, so open about, you know, all of the struggles she's had, but also just Again, she's hilarious, so she added a little comedic relief to it, and the numbers are through the roof, and I think that really speaks to what people want to hear, and, you know, even if they haven't, you know, aren't diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I think people are afraid to have those conversations about taboo topics, but it's important because I think if everyone you know, there's that quote of like, everyone, you know, is going through something that you know nothing about. Mm -hmm. Be kind always. Mm -hmm. It's like my favorite quote. Mm -hmm. I think if everyone could listen into a conversation about something, either they are or are not going through, the world would be a kinder place. And I'm, yeah, that's my Ted talk. (laughs) (laughs) And just uh, one of my favorite is just because you don't experience doesn't mean it's not real. And, and the other thing is they could know somebody that's affected by that. So that conversation that they hear might make them go, oh, well, that's why they do that? I didn't yeah. know. Or, oh, I should say that to them when they do that or when they're feeling this way. I didn't know, you know, because we don't. We're, we kind of live in a bubble. Like, everybody lives in a bubble. You know, you, you are comfortable with the things that you know and that are around you. But, like, far-reached, um, I just did a, a – a, a, we just – during this whole thing with the, um, the weather – Afterwards, I worked for, and I'm trying to remember the name, Austin Mutual Aid. So I, I went and did a volunteer day with one of my clients at Austin Mutual Aid. And we're in this room in the Long Center, and there's, like, boxes of clothes and food and stuff. And then these um, papers come in, and people are asking for these donations, and we go fill this order. And we're standing there, and me and my friend are like, you know, like, we know what happened to us during that storm. Like, we had no power, just like everybody else. We had no water, just like everybody else. But here is all these other people, like we filled 50 orders in one hour that like still haven't recovered from this storm. And we don't like, we don't even think about that. Mm -hmm. You know, we recovered, we moved on, you know, we went, got groceries the next day, you know, order our Instacart, whatever. And there's still people in our city that don't have food. They don't have water. They don't have electricity. Their house has been, you know, ruined. Like we don't know that because we don't like, we live in this bubble. And so that's why it's important to open up and hear the conversation about a lot of other things. So then, you know, like that impact changed my whole thinking about like, now what do I do? Like, where do I, where do I focus some of my attention besides mental health? So yeah, that's my Ted talk. (laughs) (laughs) Actually like quick segue about, you know, the storm. I think I was, I was talking about this with practically everyone I knew because I didn't have much else to do. Um, But I think one thing that was just so interesting about the storm is there was so little press coverage in the beginning. And, you know, if there was, it was like, there were six inches of snow in Austin. And, you know, my friends in New York are there with like three feet and not thinking about how everything's relative. And then, of course, me being a mental health advocate and passionate about that stuff, 
I was reading all of these interesting articles about how even the small things like how, you know, when all the electricity went out and every single fire alarm and and all the alarms are going off, like you don't think about the fact that for someone who's like a vet or has PTSD, like that's Mm -hmm. super triggering Mm -hmm. or, you know, just there's so many little little nuances that happened with the storm that aren't just going to be like, oh, it's sunny now, like back to normal, but could have long-term repercussions. And that's something, um, as I kind of mentioned before, like I'm working hopefully to help alleviate um, some of that stress that people are still experiencing or, I don't know, the alarms were going off the other day and even I was like a little like, oh God, (laughs) not again. It's, this is, the last two years have just been ridiculously insane. I'm just so happy that the conversation for supportive mental health or recognizing mental health issues are so rampant. One thing I always say is that you ask anybody, do you, are you sad? Are you happy? Are you sad? Like you'll, you'll never hear somebody say, all my days are good. All my days are good. I never have a sad moment. So the one thing that, that, that all of us have is that we're going to be anxious. We're going to be sad. We're going to be lonely. Those kind of things are universal that all of us can relate to. So they might not be like, like diagnosable mental health issues, but they're still real. They're not, they're not fake. They're not phony. You still feel as bad when you're lonely as a person, you know, like that has maybe deeper issues of mental health. People might get mad at me for saying that, but it's true. It's all relative. It is. It is. So it could be that, Emotion could be just as strong for you as a person with bipolar disorder or somebody who has OCD or whatever it is that they're experiencing. So we just need to have a little, and, and you said like, you like that one quote, mine is to be human and then comma kind. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So kind of continuing on the conversation about s- supporting loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, so kind of backtracking when I, I went through a lot of depression in college, pretty much from 2016 on and um you know I think for me when I when I was going through that I was I mean I was focused on myself and I thought you know okay if I once I felt like that I kind of came out of it I would have have imagined that I would have you know seen signs in other people who were depressed so um my friend who I lost I was so confused when he passed because I knew he was, you know, suffering, but at the same time I was like, how did I miss it? Like, how did I miss those signs? How did I not pick up on this? Because like I was going through something similar just a little bit earlier. And so I was wondering like, what have you learned about ways we can notice signs that our loved ones are depressed or going through something or like, what are things to look out for? So when my son Kenny died, um, he was actually at the highest point of his life. Like I have pictures, the, the only, the last pictures I have of him, cause they were taken literally a week before he died of his face smiling. His eyes were bright. He had gone to the cleaners, you know, he deposited his paycheck in the bank. Like there was no sign that, you know, that Saturday that he was going to shoot himself. There was absolutely no sign. Like it was life. He had an apartment complex application filled out, sitting on his bed, you know, when we found him. So for me, it was like, how, how did I miss it? Like, and then I spent the first three years afterwards wondering, like, did he, did he leave a letter somewhere? Like, did we not, like, how do we not know that 
he was suicidal. There's a lot of things that happened like in his life because he did have bipolar disorder. But at the time, um, and you can imagine, because um, that was 11 years ago, that the support for mental health issues weren't as, weren't as strong. Like yeah. you had to be like really like kind of crazy before they would even medicate you. Like, you know, Tanner started at a very early age being medicated, but Kenny never had the option for that. He never had anybody talk to him. Like if he was sad, mad, like I didn't even as a parent know how to, how to handle it. I mm -hmm. was working, I had several jobs, you know, like raising three kids. It was like life happens and you don't like notice those things. And so at the end, I, I'm always trying to figure out like what, what did we miss? What did we miss? And now I can go back and look and also because at the time I was an active alcoholic. So I was drinking a lot. And so, you know, I was partying or whatever, and, and I didn't really notice what was happening. Now I can go back and go, oh, you know what? This thing that he did that day or, like, this thing that happened to him, it, was, it seemed like it was he had made multiple attempts to kill himself, but none of them ever succeeded. Like, he was in a couple of really bad car accidents. Like, and they were, like, there was a suspicious way that it happened. Like, he would be like, oh, somebody hit me, but it was like he really hit somebody else. Or, you know, like, he he was, um, he had been hit by a car, my son Kenny had been hit by a car when he was 17, and he was in um, ICU for a long time. And then he was, um, they told him that he was going to lose his leg, because he had a lot of, he, he was, it, it was bad, it was very bad. He was in the hospital for a long time, and he was in a wheelchair for a while, and, um, and he was going to be on uh, pain medication, Oxycontin, mm -hmm. for the rest of his life. He would never be able to be without that because the, the nerve damage was so bad in his body. Wow. And um, after that, there was a lot of things that he did that, you know, like he, he did learn how to walk. He taught himself how to walk. He got a job. You know, he bought a new car. He was like a normal person, which you wouldn't have ever thought from, you know, the, the five years previous to that he was, you know, in a wheelchair, almost lost his leg and all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, like the things that I saw later that, the behavior that of his that was kind of destructive because he would have very destructive like episodes and then he would just be like I'm fine I'm fine you know that was just like I was just upset or I was mad or whatever I realized that those were probably attempts that he had made but we just we didn't see it yeah and so our mindset now is I have a granddaughter who's seven and her name is Autumn and she is an amazing young lady and part of the reason she is is because um and you said how do you like how do you like recognize these things is that you have to start when they're young. Everybody that has some kind of depression, mental health issue, whatever, as a as a grown up, it stems from something that happened to them as a child. Everything, and and I don't care who can argue with me. I'm not a professional, but I know that. I know that for a fact that, and and I know we revert to all of those childhood emotions that we had that were unreconciled or that we experienced. So the important part is to start when people are young and letting them know that it's okay to tell you if they're sad, if they're angry, if they're mad, if they're lonely, if they're, you know, if they, if any of those feelings, whatever they are, accept them and let them speak about them. Today, if you're a grown up, one of the things that I do is I ask people all the time, are you okay today? You know, is there anything I can do to help you? You know, like that's the most important thing because sometimes somebody might look okay on the outside. I look okay on the outside all the time because I'm like that that person. I just yeah. always look at okay on the outside. But sometimes people will say, are you having a good day? And I'll be just like, 
no, actually I'm having a really bad day. Do you have a second so I can talk to you about it? Mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to be that open, but maybe if you say that enough times to somebody who's, who's sad or you feel like is might be going through something. Maybe if you say it enough times that one time you're going to catch them and they're going to be like, Oh yeah, I need to talk to somebody. Like can we go yeah. get coffee or just go walk for walk outside or like, you know, can I meet you later or whatever? Or can I just talk to you right now? Like, cause I need to speak to somebody right now, but you ask people how you can help them and you meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And it, cause it could be just, they just need to vent. I just need to vent for a second. Can I vent? That's the most important part about, you can't recognize it. It's hard to recognize, but there, I mean, there's, there's things people's, you know, if their eating habits change, if you notice their eating habits change, if they become withdrawn, um, if they don't look you in the eye when they're talking to you, or if you, you know, try to reach out to them and they push you away all the time, like those are absolute definite signs of some mental health issues. I feel like lately though, that people feel more like okay about saying, you know, like, damn, I, I don't feel good today. I really need to like get my head on straight or whatever. And, and, but asking people if they're okay all the time is to me, it's, it's super helpful. Yeah. Even if it's an open invitation, Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes people brush it off, but you know, saying, okay, like, are you, are you, is everything all right? And be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Like, okay. But just so you know, if you know, you're ever having a bad day or want to talk, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I think that's important because a lot of times, you know, because mental health is still so stigmatized, we're talking about it is they need that invitation mm-hmm. and just support like just like okay so I know Zoe's here or I know Joanne's here to talk the other thing too is you could also share your own experience with a person like if you're having a bad day you could be like man I'm having a bad day you know I'm blah 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 and then you could be like but you know what I, I think I'm gonna do tonight to make my my day better is I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a run what do you like to do whenever you're like if you're feeling sad, maybe you could help give me some input, like make your problem, their problem. So they can feel like, Oh, I'm going to interact with this person and tell them like, and that's what we do all the time on a safe place is we say, here's my problem. Like, man, I have this bad problem. How do you deal with it? So it helps people open up that might not normally open up because now they're not talking about their problem. They're talking about solving a problem and they're probably going to solve their own problem at that point, because then they're going to start saying, Oh, you know, I felt that way the other day. And when I do, when this happens, I should do this. So I think sometimes your own experience and, you know, saying it to somebody else, and maybe it could even be like, you're not feeling it right that moment, but you could still help to draw them out of the place that they're at by, by saying like, you feel sad, not that they feel sad. Or do you feel sad? Well, they're going to say, no, you know, I don't, I don't feel sad. I feel fine. Be like, man, I feel so bad right now. You know, like last night I got a terrible night's sleep. You know, what do you do when you have a bad night's sleep? You know, like, do you, do you have any like tips that you could give me Yeah, and make them help you while you're helping them? Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I know. I always kind of joke because I'm like, I've had, I have more issues than Vogue. (laughs) (laughs) So on this podcast, I'm like, here, let me tell you about this one time I had anxiety. Like, oh yeah, this eating disorder. Like here's my depression. And just by, you know, opening myself up to like the world or Spotify and Apple podcasts. I'm like, well, <laughs> everyone knows about me. So <laughs> if they know that, like if they're going through one of those many symptoms, they, they can, can reach, like, out. reach out. <laughs> like, let me re-listen to this episode. So I, com- I completely agree. Um, and then kind of on the flip side, you know, you and I have both had a shared p- 
horrible experience of losing someone we love to suicide and just know how unfathomable it the whole experience is so I guess my question is you know what advice would you give to someone who is going through the early stages of this type of loss that's that's a really hard one because um it's so personal Mm -hmm. and everybody has to deal with it their own way but um I mean I think it's the same as you would help anybody with um any kind of mental health issue um and it is because suicide is such a traumatic experience for the people who are experiencing the death of a loved one, whether it's a friend, family member, whatever. Um, it's, you really have to, I feel like I felt better when people kind of stepped back away from me because you're like, your brain is in this high alert. Like, how did this happen? Now, what do I do? Like, it's, it's different from if you know, like somebody has cancer and they're dying or they're, they're unwell or, you know, like it's just, it's a suicide changes everything. Mm-hmm. the people around that are affected by suicide will be forever, ever changed. They will never be the same person. And thankfully, a lot of people, because of the experience, have learned to reach out to other people. And that's the great part of the the suicide survivor, not survivor because you didn't commit suicide, which all, that's a whole other problem there in itself. I'm sure that you've heard there's, I don't know what the, um, the, the numbers are, but people who experience the death of a loved one often will, within a short period of time, try to commit suicide themselves. And that happened within my own family. So, um, so there's, there's so, it's, it's a, it's a different kind of demon to deal with suicide. It's not your, it's not your regular grief issue. Um, it is, there's so many things that come along with it. Um, the, the first thing I would say is that if somebody is is self-medicating, that's like if you could help them to get away from the self-medicating and 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 just let them know that you're there because it's going to be like it's hard to stop thinking about that person nonstop for many years. And yeah. I would say that it takes a couple of years. Not a mental health professional. I'm not going to say that I know like this is right, wrong, whatever. I'm going to tell you what happened to me. It took me two good years of just in self-loathe of like, how, how could this happen? How could I've lost the one, most of my firstborn son, like the most important person in my life. And how does, how does, how do I recover from this? So if I, when I finally stopped drinking and I went to a support group for, for grief, then that made the difference. Cause then I, it was kind of like a safe place. I saw a lot of other people that were experiencing the same thing. Yeah. I didn't feel so alone because you do feel lonely because the stigma behind like a person that commits suicide, like everybody is watching you, like the, the parent or the friend, everybody's watching you to see how you're going to react to everything. Yeah. And so I would, we were in a, we had lived in a small town and there was pictures of him up in stores and stuff. And I would go into stores and they would have like his, not his obituary, but like something they put his picture up and said, you know, like, we're going to miss you, Kenny, whatever. And, and so I'd have to see that stuff. So I had to physically remove myself from my physical location and move to back to Austin at that time. Cause I was ba- back in Fort Worth. And so that I could get some distance mm-hmm. from the people, places and things. So that helped me with my recovery. And then obviously to stop drinking and then to also realize that there's other people that are going through it and grief is is an emotion that is not just about suicide. There's a lot of griefs. You you know you you lose a 
you know, a friendship, you lose a relationship, you lose a job that you love. There's grief is a very universal emotion. And, you know, suicide, having to deal with suicide is one of the worst forms of grief that you ever have. But I don't, I don't know that, um, I mean, you, you have to eventually talk to somebody. Um, but I think that you need to let people work through it, how they need to work through it because of the, the feelings and emotions that they had for the person that they lost and that it, it was such a tragic event. Yeah. I think for me, the most helpful thing was talking to someone who had also lost a, like had a similar experience because it's just, it's so, it's so hard to relate to if you don't know the experience. And I remember because I organized, um, an out of the darkness event for the AFSP um, pretty shortly after his death, but I wanted to raise money in any way I could. And um, one friend that came along just started talking to me because she had lost her cousin. And um, she was like, so like, what was he like? Like, tell me about him. And just the way that she approached it with, without, you know, like, like an awkwardness or like feeling kind of uncomfortable around it. And granted, I don't blame my friends who were uncomfortable talking about it because it's so unique as we've like talked about. But I think just the way that she was could relate in a certain way was Mm -hmm. so helpful. And it just like made me feel like, okay, there's someone I can go to and if I like want to, but yeah, the space thing is huge because I remember going back to, college after break and my friends were like just come out just like come out and drink and I was like absolutely not <laughs> this will end terribly <laughs> you need you need some phys- you need some space between yourself you need to you need to process it and you have to process it internally you you're the, like I'm a firm believer that you are absolutely 100% in charge of how you deal with everything in your emotions so for somebody to tell you how to do it it's not necessarily like somebody could offer advice and say this is what worked for me but in the end the way that your own like your science mind works, you're going to have to process it the way that you want to. So you have to give people space to do that. And you have to like gently be there for support in, in any way. Like I never turned to a lot of people in the beginning and I always get phone calls all the time, get phone calls from people who say, my friend has just lost their, their child. And I say, I'm, I'll reach out to them. You know, like I'll just say, Hey, if you need to talk to somebody, you know, you can talk to me, but I'm not going to bother them any more than that. Cause I remember what that felt like to have hundreds of people contacting me and I just I didn't like my mind could not even think about having a conversation with anybody for the first years yeah years years I had to I had to process all of that how I felt and it took years for that for me to even feel comfortable to finally talk about it now I can talk about it freely and here I am 11 years later it's just I might start crying but here I am 11 years later and I can happily talk about, not happily, but you know, I can be like at peace with an event that should be still, I felt like I would never feel like this again. Like I would never feel peace about his death and that I would be able to talk to other people and offer them strength and support and help because of it. So it's, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's true. And it's, I hope if anyone who's listening like hears that and knows that there is like a light at the end of the tunnel and that you can take your pain, your pain and turn it into a purpose. And 
I don't know. And as you said, find peace with that. Hey guys, me really quick. I just wanted to talk about a couple of my amazing sponsors. The first being Sakara. Sakara is a company that delivers fresh, organic, perfectly portioned meals um, right to your home or your, you know, virtual office or wherever you are so that you can get back to feeling really good again, both mentally, physically, etc. I feel like at the beginning of every year, you know, you're thinking about like, how do I become my best self for 2021 or whatever. And a lot of that usually is around like eating well, um, whether it be for your like physical, you know, health or your mental well-being. And something I love about Sakara is like their philosophy is very like based on, it's very much based on like eating well so that you can feel what well in your brain, feel well in your body. Um, and they have a bunch of different programs, whether it's like their signature program or their 10 day reset. Um, and then they have a clean boutique where I get my probiotics and metabolism super powder. So I just highly recommend them. They really are about like feeding your like mind, body, and soul, which is super cool. So if you want 20% off your order, you can go to sakara.com and then they use the code XOZOE at checkout. So again, that's sakara.com code is XOZOE and you'll get 20% off your order. Um, but anyways, I always kind of wrap up with a few questions, somewhat unrelated, some we kind of touched on, but the first question is, do you have a favorite quote or mantra that you live by? You might've mentioned it. Yeah, that was the be human kind. That's my favorite. That's what, that's my favorite for sure. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, my empathy for sure. Yeah. Somebody asked me that question the other day and I was like, immediately it was my empathy. And yeah. It, I, just being able to like love and support people is that is just my whole heart so when is your birthday february the 12th i'm an aquarius okay yeah which is weird which is weird because we're so standoffish but i'm so like but i kind of am i am the i am the 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 ultimate aquarian i'm like i'm i'm very like hardcore about like doing things like right and i think part of it too has to do with my the years after my son like was after he died I didn't have I felt like I didn't have control over anything I became OCD like I'm not going to say OCD because I've not been diagnosed with it and it's not fair to call to self-diagnose or to even compare myself to that but I became a different person and part of the different person than I was was that I became super organized and like I follow everything by the book but then like I'm this you know like I give my last dollar to anybody you know like um, people are always like, why do you always do this, all this stuff for people? Like give them clothes and food and buy them things and whatever. I'm just like, I just, that's my empath in me. I don't, I can't <laughs> stand to see anybody suffering. I just, cause I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to suffer and nobody should have to suffer. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of Aquarians on the podcast. And <laughs> one thing someone told me was that part of the Aquarius personalities like sharing all of the knowledge they learn and like dispersing it. So I think that is also kind of true, you know, yeah. sharing experiences, knowledge, advice, etc. Um, and then the last question, which is the name of the podcast is how do you find solace in the city? In the city of Austin? It can be wherever. It can be, you know. I, I definitely find solace in the city of Austin. I just, I got out of a, um, I, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I have been a restaurant owner for the last five years. And I was in a relationship with um, with a narcissist, and we ran this restaurant together. And then, um, 
and then I left the restaurant for for my mental health reasons and I sold him my part of the restaurant so I basically I, I feel like I lost my partnership my friendship my love my my restaurant and the only place that I felt like I could come home to was to come home back home to Austin because I was living in the hill country at the time and I came back to Austin and just like the people all of the people that I know in Austin and I'm so lucky is that I know a bunch of great people in Austin that are so supportive of everything like they are very philanthropic they're 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 me people they're just like me you know they're my kind of people they're like my tribe so when I'm here I, I feel like even when I go to like Dallas I want to get back to Austin as fast as I can because I just feel like the climate here is different we have a lot of really like loving kind you know like it's just a different like the culture here is is beautiful to me yeah so I, I, I absolutely do find solace in this city for <laughs> sure <laughs> I love that well Duran thank you so much for coming on this podcast sure. I cannot thank you enough for just how vulnerable you've been and you know sharing your story how can all my listeners support you support a safe place inside your head um plug everything and you know what what can they do to help so um currently a safe place inside your head is if somebody is a, an artist and they want to work with us they want to collaborate with us or they're an influencer somehow or another or they they are somebody who could make help us make a difference in the mental health space they could go to our page on um, instagram and they do, uh, click on the work with us button and then my community manager gets the information because we have an ambassador program that we're doing right now where we're letting people actually take over our Instagram page for like a day and they can post their materials or they can do a live. It depends on, you know, like we're working with people to do different things. So we offer some different stuff to our people um, that will help support them. So if it's a therapist is listening right now and they're interested in providing support to somebody for a day, like our community, we'd love for them to be part of that. Um, locally, what we're doing is um, we're finding every quarter, we're finding a new um, like fundraising project that we're working with. And this quarter is Waterloo Counseling and Kind Clinic here in Austin. So every all the money that we raise is going to be diverted to them. They offer, um, locally, they offer solutions for... Waterloo counseling does um, for um, f no cost counseling. Last year, they they were able to um, support 145 people that got counseling or therapy with no cost. And that doesn't seem like a big number, but that's maybe 145 lives that in Austin that were saved. Yeah. So um, that's that's pretty important. Um, so um, they can always donate on, on our Instagram page. The donor box is there. We don't care how much it is, whatever. Um, or they can tune in to us every night we have something different going on and then we also have during our our broadcast we usually do some kind of fundraising button on there so that we can help to raise money for for waterloo counseling right now um, um and then just share our page with their friends so that we, the community just continues to grow because every time we get a new user or a new follower and they comment on something that somebody else is commented on or one of our posts they're making a difference within yeah. the community. So that's the part, is to grow the community so the community just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And our voice is so loud that we cannot be ignored. I love that. <laughs> that's amazing. And I will reiterate everything about that in the comments of this episode. All right. Um, so thank you again. And bye, everyone.